Well, well, listen, if this is your first time here, what a great day to be here because uh, we are starting, we're kicking off a new series, and I don't know if you have uh, heard or if somebody brought you here before or not, but our main goal here is just to help you take whatever those next steps are in your spiritual journey, and we're hoping that w- with all that we do and all the things of the small groups, the teaching, everything, that, that we would just be able to inspire you to follow Jesus. So today, um, today is basically just a series introduction. Um, we're, we're calling our series Relationship Rehab. And, and I know rehab can be used in a number of different ways. You know, there's obviously a, a rehabilitation from maybe um, a drug use or alcohol abuse or something like that. But there's also, a, um, like if you're injured, you go through rehab. Um, there's physical therapy. Um, another way that, that we think of rehab is, is now people are using that for their houses, so you got like different shows on TV about rehabbing your house or your kitchen or whatever. I know a few of you right now are in the process of rehabbing your kitchen. Am I right? Some, and there's others that are not here that it's all about a kitchen rehab right now. Um, but today I want to talk about it in, in regards to, to like, like a garden, like cultivating a garden or, or something that is, has been kind of let go and you've got to do some serious work to kind of build it back up. Um, but, but in each way we think about this idea of rehab, um, it can apply to our relationships. It can apply to our marriages for those of you who are married or, or maybe for those of you who are looking to be married. You're involved in a relationship or one day you're hoping, well, that maybe that you, that you would be married. But, um, yeah, so, so some of you today, you've come from great relationships. Others have come from relationships where they didn't work out so well. There's some of you here today that you would even say that you, you have been hurt in a previous relationship. Um, some of you look forward, looking forward right now to tie the knot. You haven't tied the knot, but you're together. You're, you're with somebody. You're thinking, I'm, I'm ready to get married. Or maybe you're thinking about getting married. Um, and many of you have been married, and I know you, and you've been married for many, many years. Um, more, more than myself, some of you up 40, 50 years, all that. But you know one thing I can say about all of us, and whatever the situation is, wherever you are, we can all use a bit of a tune-up when it comes to our relationships. And, and of course, we're thinking relationships with the opposite sex, but it's not just that. It's, it's relationships in general. One of the cool things is, is for the most part, um, the things that you, you can apply w- within your marriage relationship and getting along and working through problems, this is, this is sort of a life hack. It's sort of something that works all the way across the board um, throughout your life. So today, this is a series, if, if, you, if you, for you yourself, or maybe if you want to talk with somebody, this is a series today, or this, the, next few, uh, the next few weeks. It's for those of you who are newly married. It's for those of you who've been married a long time. It's those for you who want to be married, or maybe you're single and you're not sure. You're not sure if you want to be married. And, and it's, it's if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, glad that you're here. But if you are, you would say that I'm not a Christian, or maybe I've been a part of a different religion, and, and you're just coming for this. Listen, I hope that this helps you because I'm, I'm glad that you're here. Um, this is designed really for all of us. And so this is, this is uh, sort of the intro of our new series. So, so let me just start off with a couple of illustrations about how some of this works. Um, any of you know what an EDC is? An EDC. That's a, you know, initials of something. Anybody know what that is? Nobody knows. How about an everyday carry? What's an everyday carry? You guys ever heard of that? EDC? No? One of you 
Somebody. All right. One of you in the back is, boy, I, I thought that there would be more. I, I've been so I talked with my son and like some of the some of the guys and they, they've kind of been looking at an everyday carry like a pocket knife. Everyday carry pocket knife. Some of you. OK, now, any of you men have an everyday carry pocket knife? Yes. Good. All right. I'm not out there on my own with that. So I've been looking at everyday, everyday carry pocket knives and, and uh, like what I do lots of times, I go on YouTube and I try to, to figure out, okay, well, w- what would be the best one and how much do they cost? And some of them are really expensive. I'm like, how would anyone spend that much money on a pocket knife? But I watched this one guy and he took something like 20 different pocket knives, all brand new, and he, and he proceeded to take them and, and put them like and dole them by going across like something like a, a piece of cement. And I'm like, how, why would you ever do that? And, and his whole purpose is to find out, can I sharpen them and how good of a pocket knife is and, and all of this kind of stuff. And it sort of reminded me of a time when um, I, I was invited over and actually all the elders were invited, invited over to one of the elders' house, to Tad and Sue's house. And as we were over there, we, we had a barbecue and lots of food, more food than we could ever eat. But there was also a fire outside. And so I volunteered and said, hey, I'll come and chop some firewood. And he says, sure, go on over there. He says that the axe is not really all that sharp. You, you remember that? It was terrible. I don't know what, what he, I don't know, were you using it to like chop cement or something like that? Because literally the blade was dull. It was flat, about a quarter inch of just flatness. And I'm thinking, how are we ever going to get through any of this wood? And so I'm like, can I go in your shop and look for a way? And he's like, sure, come on in. And, and we figured out a way. We made that sucker so sharp. And then you just go out there and it was just, it was just so nice to go through the logs at that period of time. But see, it, see, it reminded me of this, um, of this proverb in the book of Ecclesiastes. And this is what the proverb says. It says, using a dull axe requires great strength, so sharpen the blade. That's the value of wisdom. It helps you succeed. Now, Solomon is writing, and he's not just talking about just the obvious, and he's not just talking about sharpening a knife or or sharpening an axe. He's saying it's wise to maintain things so that they work the way that they're supposed to. He's saying it's wise to prepare to succeed rather than just to jump in unprepared, to take an axe that is totally blunt. Now, This is how it replies to relationships. Just because two people make a promise till death to us part, um, you know, to, you know, to have and to hold till death to us part, all that, it doesn't mean that they have equipped themselves with wisdom, with the ability to be able to do so. We can make a promise, but unless you grow in your abilities, you're going to have a hard time doing it. Just like if you just take up an axe that is fully dull and you say, I'm just going to go ahead and I'm going to chop wood, I'm going to chop down trees. Yeah, it can be done, but it's going to be really, really hard. No one in here wants to get stuck um, chopping wood with a dull axe. And in the same way, you don't want to have an unnecessarily hard time relating to people around you uh, when it comes to work, relating to your your, your co-workers, or, or especially when it comes to your spouse or when it comes to a boyfriend, when it comes to a girlfriend. And so if you find that you're constantly maybe misunderstanding each other, like in your relationship, and, I, and you, can go, you can apply this however you wish, okay? But, but I'm sort of speaking specifically within marriage. Or, or, or maybe you notice 
that you kind of tend to get frustrated and, and angry with your, your partner, uh, maybe more often than what you used to, or, or, or maybe, maybe some of you, you would even say, I'm, I'm sort of nearing the end of my rope with what's been going on, or, or maybe you're avoiding certain topics, certain things that are sort of like the untouchable, you do not want to talk about that one thing, or, or, or you don't specifically want to talk about the relationship, or, or maybe you're not just avoiding a topic, but maybe you're finding ways to be busy so that you could avoid even the other person. All right? If that's the case, I really hope you'll stick around for this series. This is not physical therapy. This is relationship therapy. And listen, if you're single and you're trying to figure out how you can make, make it work when one day you say, I want to tie the knot, um, I really hope you stick around for this because it's just the Bible has so much to teach us and we've got so much to say about this so it's interesting how the Bible pictures love pictures relationships like a garden so marital love is, is pictured a number of places like a vineyard like a cultivated field uh, like a garden it's nourishing it's beautiful um, it can be intoxicating the book Song of Solomon or Song of Songs is the most explicit when it comes to talking about relationships. It says that the fruit of a well-tended garden or a vineyard, it's the enjoyment of sexual love. It's like a garden. But a garden is totally different from, like, let's say, at your house, you don't have any grass, and so you call up a company and you order a bunch of sod. And they come and bring over sod and, they just, and then they lay it down. And there you go, you've got it. See, marriage doesn't work like that. You can't just call up the, the company and say, just give me an instant marriage. It, it, it doesn't work like that. Um, it's not like flowers that you buy at a store. You can't just go and, and there they are. They're already beautiful. They're blooming. They're arranged perfectly. Um, it's like a garden. You, you have to tend it. Um, it doesn't come prefab. You've got to figure out how you're going to plant things, how you're going to take care of it. But see, a healthy garden never starts out in, in, in its perfect way. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of persistence and patience and, and attention. And the writer of Proverbs actually notes that. And this is sort of where we get this idea of, of rehab here. In Proverbs 24, verse 30, uh, Solomon says, I, I went by the field of, a la- of the lazy man. And by the vineyard of the man devoid of understanding. And there it was, all overgrown with thorns. Its surface was covered with nettles. Its stone wall was broken down. And when I saw it, I considered it well. And I I looked on it and I received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And so shall your poverty come like a prowler and your need like an armed man. Now, as I read it, and for years and years and years, I read it very literally. And, and this is obviously one way that you can understand it. You can just take this literally. When you're lazy, things break down and, and things don't work anymore. But, because I know Solomon writes a lot about marriage, writes a lot about relationships, and he uses some pictures, this is also a picture of what happens when we neglect our relationships. And see, the marriage that you can have and the marriage that you should have 
It's as far removed from the marriage that you start with as an apple tree is far from an apple seed. It takes a long time to get there. And we tend to think in our society, there's this idea that if you could just find the right one, then bingo, everything, everything's going to work just perfectly. And when it doesn't, when things don't work the way that you think, you think, well, man, what is wrong with her? You think the problem is with your spouse. You think, well, man, I, I, I guess they have more flaws than what I thought when I married them. Because at first you thought that they were the one, and then you realize, well, something else is wrong. But see, having a great relationship is more about uh, you and I, you and your spouse, you and your, you and your partner submitting to God than it is about finding the perfect person, finding Mr. Right, finding um, Mrs. Right. And I think that men and women, we're both guilty um, in how we approach marriage and relationships. So let me give you two examples, one for men, one for women. Um, and by the way, I'm speaking in generalities. So some of you would say, oh, well, I would never operate like that. Well, well this, this is just a generality, okay? So I know that there are many men, not all, but many. Uh, we've kind of tended to think that when we get married, the relationship will take care of itself. It, there's this idea that the, the goal is just to get married. And then after that, it's sort of self-sustaining. That it's going to work out just fine. And when we discover, men, when we discover that it isn't, we are genuinely surprised. Okay, I mean, this is, we, we, just, we really are surprised, surprised at the, the work that it takes to cultivate a good relationship. I mean, she wants to talk again. I mean, didn't we talk yesterday? I, I mean, you know, and so honestly... Some of us guys, we're, we, that's just the way that we're built, okay? Um, now, I'm not saying that everybody, I don't want to include everybody in this, but that's just sometimes it's a little surprising for some of us as men. Um, on the other hand, let, let's pick on the ladies for a little bit. Um, I think that many women tend to understand the things and, and how um, relationships are going to need work. I think that many women understand that. Unfortunately, some of them have some unrealistic expectations as well. As well, it would be like um, a gardener who plants one thing and they expect a totally different thing to grow out of it. So they plant one thing, they expect a totally different product, a different plant, whatever to grow. What do I mean? Um, let me explain. Um, Women do this more often than men, but I'm sure that men probably have done this. Um, but, but this is a belief that, and I've talked, I've done a lot of different um, premarital counseling and all this, but I think that women believe that with the right amount of cultivating, that with the right environment, that they can change the man that they are marrying into the one that they hope that they will be. They can change the man that they are marrying into the man they hope that he should be. Uh, have you ever seen this happen? No. Right answer, sir. That's the right answer. Never heard that. Yeah, never seen that. Yeah, but I've I've actually talked with people and and the idea is, well, I know that I know there are things right now, but after we get married, I know that I'll be able to work with him and then I'll be able to change him. And that's the idea. We think we think we come into this and we're going to we're going to change the person that that we're married to. And this is just two ways that us as men and women, we, we just kind of get some things wrong. You know, in, in a garden, 
a garden is never, it's never static. It's never just exactly the way that you expect it to be. You've got to adjust to circumstances. So, um, a dry spell. A dry spell in the garden, it needs watering, right? Or if it, if it rains a lot, you get plenty of rain, you're going to have to do a lot of weeding. You have to adjust. So let's see, if your life is going well, things are going well at work, things are going well all around you, you you're doing well in the family, you're doing well with finances, you're finding good success, you know what, you're going to have to set some, some attention aside for your marriage because your marriage will get squeezed out with success. In the same way, if you have hard times, if you're going through some, some trouble, stressful times, maybe it's financial stress, uh, maybe it's the stress of children. Uh, the children bring along wonderful things, but they also bring along stress. Uh, maybe it's other family issues, family, um, you, you know, parents or brothers and sisters and things like that. You have to take time to care for your marriage in that time of stress because you know what that stress will do? It'll, it'll squeeze your relationship. It'll start to choke out your relationship. And so there are dry times you've got to work through. There, there are challenges that come in your marriage that you never expected would happen. Um, it's funny. You, and, and you can't expect it's going to happen. You can think, oh, I should expect the unexpected. But then... The unexpected actually happens. You're like, I never thought that this was going to happen. It happens to all of us. And see, this is why marriage vows are so extreme. Have you ever thought about how marriage vows, they really are extreme, um, for better or for worse? No matter how good it is, we're going to stick together. Um, in sickness and in health. But see, almost everybody marries thinking about the health. They don't think about or predict the sickness for richer, for poorer. Everybody thinks we're going to do just fine. But man, when we struggle and then there's the forsaking all others, we have some pretty extreme vows in marriages because because what it's saying is we're going to push through it no matter what happens. We're going to show the attention to our relationship that it's going to need now. Let me just talk to some of you in here who are younger and maybe you're, you're single. Um, there, there's this myth about finding the right person. Let me just tell you something, and I hope you take this, I hope you take this in the right way, everybody. Um, we always marry the wrong person. Even if you think you found the right person, give enough time, that person will change. Because we all change. Every one of us changes. We're all growing. Hopefully we're growing, but we all change. So given enough time and that person that you marry, they will change. And see, the, the great challenge is to love the stranger that you're married to, that you did not expect that they would change in this way. And the great challenge is you go back and you say, oh yeah, for, for better or for worse, for richer or for poor, I'm going to love the person that I married. You know, I, it was one man who was in his 70s and he said this, my wife has lived with five different men since we were married and each of the five was me. Well, that's true. And I'm glad that it was a man who said, a woman could have, never mind. <laughs> so today, what I want to do is I'm talking about this, this by the way, this is, this is an intro, but I do want to try to make some of this very 
practical. So I want to give you something you can apply, whether you're married, whether you're single, whether you're a newlywed, whether you're an oldiewed. Um, this is a principle that Jesus brilliantly illustrated for everyday circumstances, for everyday situations. So do you remember Jesus... Um, I guess it's a parable, maybe, maybe an illustration about removing the speck in your brother's eye while you've got a log in your own eye. If you don't remember, let's just read this. This is in Matthew chapter 7. He spoke this in front of a huge crowd on the Sermon on the Mount, and it was recorded for us. And Jesus said this, Do not judge so that you will not be judged, for by the standard that you judge, you will be judged. And the measure you use will be the measure that you receive. Now, some of you have heard that before. There are many non-Christians that that's the only verse that they know of that's actually in the Bible. Don't judge. Okay, but Jesus goes on to talk about this. He says, Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but you fail to see the beam of wood in your own? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me remove the speck from your eye while there is a beam in your own? You hypocrite... First remove the bean from your own eye, and then you can clearly see to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, I don't know if you've ever sat and thought about this, but I love this illustration because there's actually so much to it. You can kind of peel back the layers and get deeper and deeper and deeper. And so let me start with just an illustration. Have you ever um, had one of those Broome County kamikaze gnats ever fly into your eye. You know the kind I'm talking about? They're kind of, it's out there at certain times of year, but usually it's in the fall or it's in the spring. It's not in the hot summer. But they're, they're flying around and it's like they see your face and they aim for your eye or your nose. It's like they're, they're trying to tunnel is what they're trying to do. They, they want to get in there somehow. And, and so this last summer, um, this actually happened to my son Silas, Kamikaze um, gnat flew right into his eye while we were at soccer practice, and 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 so at first you you kind of see what's going on. He's he's not engaged in practice anymore because he's just kind of you know going like this and kind of stumbling around, and he's just trying to do something. He, you know, and, and then pretty soon it gets to the point where he realizes he can't handle this on his own. All right, and so by the time I got over to him, the gnat was tunneling through his eye into his brain. <laughs> I was sort of joke about it, but what had happened is it actually made its way under some of the pink membrane on the sides of your eye. And so I'm there, and I'm, and I'm thinking, and I, I remember what I'm thinking I need is I, I wish I had like a, a napkin that I could have taken and I could have twisted into like a little sharp little point, and then I could have just kind of flecked it out, right? Something that's really delicate and, and, and a little bit, you know, thin and, and pointy so that I could work on it. But all I have is these little stubby hands, all right? Um, I remember when I, was a, when I was a kid, I was playing around with something I found... Um, in, in the, we had a, like a rock driveway and stuff, and so we get snow and stuff, and we shovel, and it gets turned over. So one summer I'm going around, I look, what's that? I pick this up, and it was an old, um, probably a Christmas light. You know the part you screw in for the Christmas lights? It was an old one of those things, but the glass was all broken off, and I just looked at it, and I, and I kind of flicked it, and the glass shot into my eye. And so now I got this glass in my eye, I'm like, ah, and I'm running in and, and staggering around, and my mom, you know, she body slams me down on the couch 
And she's got these nails. And they're like, they're like, right? And she just takes the nails and just, and just, just gets it right out. Well, I'm Mr. Stubby Fingers and I'm trying to reach in there and figure out how to help my son, Silas, get this, this kamikaze gnat out. And fortunately, through just manipulation and moving, we, we got it out. And you know how Silas felt when we were done? Just relieved. It's not in my eye anymore. Oh, it's just so much better. I mean, he's, he's able to see. He's able to see without squinting, without, without crying. He, he feels relief. He can go play soccer again. What happens when you get a speck in your eye, a piece of dust, a lint, an eyelash, whatever it is, and you can't get it out? What do you do? Everyday carry. Thin, pointy, that's right. You, want, you, you look for help. You don't listen to Gary, first of all. Don't call Gary, okay? If you know what he's going to do, he's going to pull out his everyday carry, right? Yeah, you look for help. But you want someone who can see. <laughs> so if you get a person that like, they're like, I don't have my seeing glasses, or let me, or, or, but I can help, but they can't see. No, 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 you don't want them. You want somebody who can see clearly, someone who's going to be able to help. See, they won't be any help at all if they can't, if they can't see. And, and neither would a person who had a log in their eye. They would not be able to help at all. Because they're not going to be able to see. They've got a log in, in their own eye. Now, when you have a problem in your marriage or in your relationship, before you remove a speck out of somebody else's eye, this is just the obvious. You've you got to take the log out of your own. Now, Jesus tells this illustration, and, and some people believe that probably the specks are like sort of the same size. That both people have a thing in their eye, um, but because it's in my eye, it's so close it should look like a log. All right, it should feel like there's a log in my eye, and here I am. I've got this log in my eye, but I'm going to try to help somebody else out with what's going on in, in, in their eye. But the issue in this whole thing is, come on, are, are you really ignoring that? I mean, you think you're going to go do this, but you're just ignoring the thing that is in your own eye? I mean, you've got five kamikaze gnats in your eyes, but you're going to come and try and help somebody who's got one? And so, the, so that's the issue, and, and Jesus is, is bringing this up, and he's just, sum, he's just summarized an illustration of something that we go through all the time in marriage and in families and in the workplace. We go through this all the time. And what he calls a speck and a log here actually represents things that we need for, for a good relationship. The idea of approachability and confession, um, encouragement, forgiveness, repentance. In order to remove the, the speck, in order to remove the, the log, all of this stuff... You need to have this uh, kind of approachability. You need to have a, an attitude of confession. You need to be repentant. You be, need to be really to, to, to change and say, I'm sorry, I've done wrong. Will you forgive me? And there has to be forgiveness. The, the, there has to be encouragement. 
that, oh, we're not going to just continue to focus on this and hold this against the person all the time. And see, see, listen, if you're continually going through the same conversations over and over and over and you're never moving to a resolution, the reason why is because there's no change taking place. Um, can you go to the next slide, please, Stan? That's what I wanted. Yeah, there, the reason why there's no change ever taking place is because either you're not being approachable, you're not confessing, you're not making the change and turning and changing your mind and saying, I'm not going to do that, or that is wrong. You're not encouraging, you're not forgiving. You know, healthy marriages, they find great joy in canceling debts. Because you know what we do? We are in debt to one another, one another daily. We are. Marriage is a constant debt with each other. And, and a good marriage takes joy in canceling debts and extending forgiveness to each other. And, and you, what you've got to do is you've got to let down your defensive walls. You, you can't have those defensive walls up. And, and you've got to let those walls down so that you can begin to help each other. So you can say, oh... I do have a log. I guess I need help. And see, you know what you're doing when, you, when, when that happens, when you actually let down the walls and you actually take on this kind of an attitude? What you're doing, what you're saying is actually, um, I'll be second. I'll, I'll put you first. You first, and I'll, 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 just, I'll just go second. See, a great marriage has each of you putting the other person first. That you, you go first. No, 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 it's okay. You, you go first. You're putting the other person in front of yourself. I'll, I'll, well, let's focus on, let, let's just let's deal with, with this first. You, you don't have to deal with me. You don't have to deal with me. And see, so you know what this is? This is what the gospel is all about. The gospel is just simply this, that Jesus Christ saw, He knew all of us. He saw the circumstances we were in. He knew that we were pathetic. And I don't mean in a funny way. I I mean really sick and and demented and twisted and perverted and hurtful and hurting. And, And Jesus, He says, I'm going to care for them. And I'm going to lay down my life. I'm going to die on a cross because of their sin. I'm going to take their sin upon Myself. And then I'm going to raise again on the third day and I'm going to show them that there is forgiveness available for them if they will trust in Me, if they will believe in Me, if they will put their faith in Me. And I'll change their lives. I will develop a relationship with them. They will become My children. Um, They they will receive My Father's name. And and they will be a part of the body uh, of Christ. I will change. This is the Gospel. This is what Jesus has done. Now, when you and I do this... We're actually enacting the Gospel. We're being like Jesus. We're giving of ourselves so our spouse can be whole. And maybe you're not married. You're giving of yourself so that person at work, that person in your, your neighborhood, that friend of yours, so that they can be whole. See, that's, that's the Gospel. That's putting somebody else first. This is all throughout the New Testament. And so when you have a difference of opinion, 
um, from, from your spouse, from your friend, whatever it is, you get in an argument. You know what the first thing that you normally do is? You think of how wrong the other person is. And you think of how right you are. This is what happens. This is, just, this is why you're arguing. I argue because I'm right. Right? Isn't that, isn't that the basis of it? I argue because I'm right and, and they're wrong, right? But see, when this happens, the next time you get into an argument, some of you don't call it arguments, you call it dialogues. Whatever it is that you get into. This is what I want you to come back to. I want you to come back to this picture. The picture of Jesus, and he said, talks about having a speck and having a log. Except for you, you have to think of it in this way. They have a speck. I have a log. What am I going to do about this log? This is the perspective. This is how I, I, I want you to see this. You need to see your problem as a log because you are never going to help anything in that relationship. You're never going to help that other person. Um, you're not going to help in any way unless you see ownership on your part. You have to own up to your own issues. Own up to your part. And you have to say, okay, th- this is my part. I, I, I guess... I guess I need help with this. Oh man, it is so hard sometimes to say I could be wrong. I mean, just ask Gary. He he knows how hard this is. <laughs> hey, you you interact with me. Nobody else does, you know. So Ryan does, but he's been quiet lately. He's been smart today. You know, it says about wisdom and sharpening the axe. I think he's learning from his father. Those of you who are watching on, I have no clue what we're talking about. That's okay. Um, so, so find the part of the problem that's your fault and, and you begin with that. And, and you have to confess that. And, and maybe you think, well, my part of the problem, it's only 10%. They've got 90% and I've only got 10%. Okay, fine. Start with admitting your 10%. All right? Confess it clearly. Ask, uh, just apologize. Apologize for your 10%. Ask for forgiveness and say, I'm, I'm sorry about that because only then will you ever be able to get to the root of the problem. So this is just what I want you to ask. I want you to think, next time you get into one of those conversations, I want you to think about the speck and the log. And just ask yourself this question. Am I focusing first on the speck on their eye? Am I fo- focusing on the log in, in my own eye? Because Jesus says, that's where you begin. You want to resolve something? That's where you begin. And, and, and so today what I want to give you is there's actually something that a couple can do that dissolves specs and it removes logs. Um, and it's not, it's not quite automatic. It doesn't happen whenever you do this. It's just all of a sudden they're gone. But it's actually very effective. And, and this is sort of the take-home practice that I'd like for you to do. I'd love it when you argue, when you, when you get into a debate, or whatever it is that you, you think about the other person, that they have a speck and I have a log. I want you to think about this, but this is the practice that I want you to do within your marriages um, on a regular basis. Okay? And, and, and this is, it's very simple. I want you to pray together out loud on a regular basis. It sounds really, really simple. Some of you, you do this. You pray and you pray out loud with your spouse. Some of you right now, you're feeling and you're like, mm, 
and, and you've got this stiff arm kind of coming out about this idea of praying out loud. There's something within you where you're like, mm, that's, that's sort of personal. I, I don't really, I don't want to go there. I mean, you know, prayer, that's my own spiritual life, all this kind of stuff. And, and, and some of you, and by the way, some of you, you're thinking, well, yeah, I already got this down because every night we eat dinner and, and I say, dear Lord, thanks for the vittles again. Amen. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about that awkward thing that you kind of maybe you never grew up doing that if you were if you had to do that, you would feel sort of sort of weird. You would feel sort of vulnerable, a little bit uncomfortable to pray out loud. And so this is it's a very simple thing. But what I want you to do is I want you to pray out loud together. Now, for those of you who threw up the stiff arm. Okay, and you're like, I just, I don't feel comfortable with that. You don't, you know, if you did that just now, so some of you know, you're in this room, or maybe you're you're online, and you're like, mm, and you, you felt something. You need to figure out what was it that just happened. Whatever that stiff arm was that you like, feel I'm uncomfortable. I don't, mm, you know, I, I, I'm, I don't, I'm not really willing to do that. You have to figure out whatever that was. Okay. Um, whatever came up inside you to resist praying and say, I hope you figure out what it is because, um, because I know what it is. Um, and believe it or not, this is actually something that I had to deal with for, for a little while. So this is like confession time for, for me. There, there is a time where um, me, I, as the pastor, had a hard time praying with Shay. Um, she would want to pray together. And she, she would think, hey, let, let, let's pray. And, and she would have an idea. There would be a problem, whatever. And she would bring it up. Let's pray. And, and I don't know what it was in me, but I think it was something that had to do with, I'm supposed to be the guy that went to Bible college and seminary. I'm supposed to be the pastor. I'm supposed to be a spiritual leader and all this. And for her to come first and to say, hey, let's pray, and I didn't come up with the idea, and so, therefore, something within my ego kind of resisted, and, and I, I just didn't want to pray with her. And there was something, and she could tell, there's something really weird going on with, with that man that I'm married to. And, and there was something just in me that, that I, I just, I guess I got a bruised ego, and so I just didn't want to pray. I was like, I, no, you, you, you go ahead. You know, I've tried to act spiritual or something like that. Isn't that terrible? I mean, you're thinking, wow, you as a pastor would do that? Listen, I would do much worse things than that too. <laughs> but you know what happens? Over time, she ended up kind of wearing me down. She, she didn't know exactly what to say, but over time what she would do is she would start to say, hey, um, is it okay if we pray? I'd like to pray. Would you like to pray with me? And she would say it in a different way. And, and I started to realize, Kyle, you're stupid. <laughs> What are you doing? What's this deal with your own ego, with you not wanting to, to pray? And, and you know what my problem was? Just, just pride. Just a lack of humility. That's what it was. So if you are resisting praying together, I hope that you can get to this issue. I hope you can get over that pride that keeps you from prayer, prayer together. But before you dismiss praying... Um, Ryan, you're coming up way too early, dude. Oh yeah, you're you're like, come back in ten minutes. No, I'm sorry. No, give me another five minutes, man. (laughs) 
<laughs> Jen, did you send him up here? You, you know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're a little bit raw here. Just kind of happens. All right. Welcome to Grace Point. Glad that you're with us. All right. So this whole idea of prayer. Some of you are thinking, well, this is very simple or very simplistic. So these of you, you're, you're, you resist it and all that. But let me just tell you how revolutionary this is. Okay. Um, about 20 years ago, maybe a little bit more, there were some studies done about couples who pray uh, together. The, not, not just like being quiet, but they actually will pray out loud together. All right? And one study found this, that only 8% of Christian couples ever pray together. So if we have, I mean, I don't know how many people we have really on a, a Sunday, between 300, 400 people that attend here, only 8% of that, um, of those couples however many couples that would be. That's just, that's rough. Another study actually found this though, that less than 1% of the couples who pray together regularly ever get divorced. Less than 1% who pray regularly ever get divorced. But then there was a third study that, that was, um, it was referenced by Dr. Phil, Okay. If Dr. Phil is noticing a study, he put it in his book called Relationship Rescue. Okay, And, and he thought it was a study. He felt it was credible enough to put into his book. Now, let, let me just give you a quote here. An interesting statistic reflects that the divorce rate in America is at a minimum one out of two marriages. But the reported divorce rate among couples that pray together is about one in 10,000. Just let this sink in. The divorce rate among couples that pray together is about 1 in 10,000. You get this. What this means is if this, if this statistic is correct, couples who pray together have a 99.9% chance of staying together. There is no one ever who has given a statistic that promises if you do this thing, this thing, this thing, if you follow this three-step process, there, there's nobody who ever does it who, is, who has ever said that if you do one thing, it ever comes anything close to this study as far as marriage goes. And it's just a simple thing that you pray together, right? It's, and then he says it's a pretty impressive statistic even if you reduce it a thousand-fold. Did you get that? It was one in ten thousand. Not one in a thousand. Not one in a hundred, one in ten thousand. So you know what the bottom line is with this? You, you could actually figure this out with me. Couples who pray together, you, yeah, yeah. Some of you today, um, you have a relationship and, and maybe for you it's completely falling apart. And you don't know how to work through your arguments. Um, some of you are at the point of, of avoidance where you get to the point where you're afraid to talk about things, but or maybe you're, just, you're even uncomfortable being with the other person, being with your spouse. This person who you were, were drawn to, you, you loved, you made vows with. Or, or, or maybe you're not married. Maybe you're in a relationship in some ways and, and there, there are things like this happening with you. Um, I, I can tell you, if that's where you are, I can tell you what you're not doing. Or I can tell you what you're, you're refusing to do. Um, 
And I would just bet that you're not praying together. And you're not praying together out, out loud. You're not being vulnerable. And so my, my question is this. Will you swallow your pride and will you do this? And even for those of you in the room who, who have never prayed, maybe you're one of those people you've come and you, you've never really prayed before. You've never prayed out loud. And you just need to know that you can just be as simple and as honest as you can. You could just come and you could start off by saying, God, I'm praying to you now out loud. Amen. You could, and if it's honest and it's from your heart, then that, is, then that is wonderful. But see, the first step in developing a relationship with God and rehabbing your relationship, your marriage, is, is looking at the logs and then really just starting to say, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pray. I'm going to need help. I'm going to seek help. I found it kind of interesting because we talk about relationship rehab. You know, one of the very first steps in a rehab situation is admitting that I need some help. And so this is one of the things that removes the log from your eye so that you can see better. You can be better able to help with the speck in your eye. Now, before he gets going, you've heard of some life hacks. I want to give you some prayer hacks, okay? Um, first one I already gave you, that when you pray, I want you to pray out loud. Don't, don't pray silent. Don't let one person pray, the other person. Both of you pray out loud. The second thing that I want to tell you is, I just thought this is funny, pray with each other, not at each other. Okay, you know what I mean? Um, you know, oh Lord, I pray that Matt would do a better job at being with the children this week. Um, or, or, or Lord, I... Lord, I've forgiven Cynthia for what she said earlier today. <laughs> uh, don't pray at them, pray with them, right? Um, and, and then thirdly, if you have children, pray together with your children and for your children. Spend time praying with them and time praying for them. And, and let me just give you some, like maybe a result that can happen. All right, And I'm not promising this, but I've noticed this and I think that it, that it happens and um, so, so praying together is, is kind of an intimate thing, isn't it? So if you start praying together and you have never done this before, all right, and this, I'm just telling you for those of you who are in marriage, don't be surprised that if because of the greater spiritual intimacy, it leads to further physical intimacy. Don't be surprised. And listen, and some of you guys, you're thinking, if he would have said that first off, I would have paid more attention. You know, <laughs> listen, I'm not, I'm not trying to bribe you. Um, but, but listen, this, this is just something, it's, it's an intimate thing. And that, that God has rigged it in marriage that when you, when you let down those walls, that it creates greater intimacy all across the board. But but if there's something in you that resists this, even just this simple thing, I, I, I just I just ask you you need to you need to figure out why. Why is it? Why do I resist this? Can you push through it? So I think that if you if you do this, you will find that the that the specks in the logs they're not going to go away, but they're going to be easier to to deal with, and they'll be much easier to remove. And then when they're gone, you know what you're going to feel. Relief. Relief. Can I pray with you? Out loud. 
Heavenly Father, I, I just pray for every couple in this room, every marriage that uh, Grace Point represents. Lord, I pray for every um, couple that's struggling. And I pray for the singles in here that maybe they're looking and one day they hope to be married. College students, teenagers. I pray for those that have gone through really hard, difficult relationship issues and they have maybe been separated and they've been divorced and they're wondering what you've got next for them. So Father, I ask that you would help us as a congregation, as individuals and as couples, that we would be people who are quick to look and to recognize there's a log in our own eye before we even think that we can help with the speck in the other person's eye. And that we would realize that we need certain things like forgiveness and acceptance and compassion and repentance in order to be able to get rid of the logs, get rid of the specks. And I pray for those marriages uh, that, that are strong in this room. Would you continue to strengthen them? Would you, would you let those marriages lead us as a congregation. And I pray for those that are that are brand new or maybe those that, that are not quite as strong. I pray that You would help them to start the habit of praying together regularly. And I pray that You would be in the midst of all of us as we desire to have relationships that honor You. Because this is one of the reasons why Jesus Christ died on the cross for us. He said... I've come that you may have life and you might have it to the full. And I pray that, that we would be a people who follow Jesus and that we have life to the full. Thank you, Lord, for loving us the way that you do. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for coming, Grace Point. Hope to see you back next week for our next part of the series, Relationship Rehab. You're dismissed. Have a great day.